made it back right in your ears with episode 144 i had nothing cool to say i thought about it that thought left quick i came <laughs> back with episode 144 but what is not regular normal and i thought that didn't leave my head is our promise being fulfilled we bought back a guest in which we promised we would bring back. But we're not going to say anything about that yet as far as who that person is. Leave you guys in what they call suspense. Cliffhangers. <laughs> Bang. We're going to start with our shout outs. Nope, I'll wait. All right. Uh, we're going to shout out to Ireland and the UK for being our top listening countries this week outside of the United States. Shout out to Ithaca for being our top listening city this week and to Seattle and Gresham for being our top listening cities this week outside of Portland, Oregon. Shout out our top listener this week, Miss Heard Song Lyrics. Shout out our sponsor, The Nine Brand. Check out the latest and the greatest at vixbrand.co.com. Follow us on the Instagrams. You can follow us at Unrefined Sophisticates. Follow me, Can, at I Technically Can, and follow Morg at Portland Morgan. Make sure you like us, subscribe, and review wherever you listen. And tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Double Aunt Andres. <laughs> now, running it back to the top, we told you we were bringing someone back, and we have Mrs. Mock. Woohoo! Mm, here I am. <laughs> Promises made, promises kept. That's that's what I was trying to say earlier when I accidentally interrupted you. We're basically the new Scientology. Ooh, that's a what? that's a big statement. <clears throat> but wait, what? More on that's that not later. what I. Oh, okay. You'll inform me too because. No, that's oh. not how Scientology works. Actually, you're right. That's fair. <laughs> just... that's very fair, and you're right. <laughs> Doing some uh, live action role playing, as they call it. <laughs> little LARPing. Little LARP, little LARP, LARPing. LARP. Little LARP. <laughs> <laughs> Ella, we are so excited to have you back. Uh, we got fan lots, favorite. Lots oh, I'm of so excited to be back. Lots of feedback on your episode. People love you, love Yay. to listen to you. They did. <laughs> I am lovable. What can I you, say? Clearly. Yes. Clap it up. And, you know, no pressure or anything, but, you know, same or better, you know, <laughs> oh, cool. the same or better. No, <laughs> I'm going behind the line. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no step backs, no step backs. <laughs> How you been, Ella? I have been great. It has been a very exciting couple of weeks in the legal world. The Ooh. past two days have been super great, <laughs> relatively speaking. Hey. There's been all sorts of things happening. <laughs> It's excitement never stops. What's a, what's a top thing in the legal world that's happening that's got your attention? Josh Duggar is going to jail <laughs> for, distrib for possession and receipt of child pornography. And yes. it is a good time for the justice yes. system in this country. We get yes. very few like real wins we can be excited about. 
this one we can all be very excited about. <laughs> Everyone can agree. Yes. Everyone can agree that this five is a monster who d- belongs in jail. And we're just just thrilled. Yes. So I, a quick question about the Duggar, because mm. uh, some people may not be familiar and we won't go into like details of the case or anything. But this was a 19 kids and counting person or what's this, their show this, called? Yeah, it was 14 kids and counting, I think, when it started, 19 and something when it ended. Okay. And this is the <laughs> the eldest son, uh, the you know, future patriarch of the family. He was Indeed. involved in a lot of local politics, obviously on the far right Christian values, the family research council he was on. Mm. Right, yeah. Uh, real, real family value oriented individual did a lot of campaigning about saving our children. Just the irony. Are we about to find out that Josh Duggar is Q from QAnon? Like, is it? <laughs> this whole like child abuse ring that we have been looking for, folks. The call is coming right from there. inside the house. There you go. <laughs> Found it. Uh, what the reason I asked about Josh Duggar is because he's going he he was um, charged and then now convicted of child pornography things. But he was also he's also been alleged to have molested like two of his sisters or something. And like four of his sisters, one oh, other unnamed underage Jane Doe. So at least five victims that we know of. And it. It's alleged in the sense that he was never convicted of it, but they've they made it a storyline in their multiple series of, you know, TV appearances. Seasons of their. Yeah. Yeah. They went on the Megyn Kelly show. They had their own special on that. It was like it's been a whole thing. And so and he's admitted to it. It's been sort of part of the narrative that these were minor indiscretions when he was young they dealt with it appropriately through religious counseling and it turns out that that's not how that works and people don't just have sort of teenage indiscretions bordering on pedophilia that's not a thing and he progressed the way one would expect and is finally facing some sort of consequence, which is very exciting. But also for a lot of those victims, this is sort of the first time that the details have come out. And the reason that the details were admitted at trial is like interesting for people who care about the rules of evidence and absolutely nobody else. But basically because the age of the victims was the same, it was allowed to come in. And it's been like a real veil lifted off of this very perfect family. They've written parenting books. They appear, they basically tour as this like family band of purity. Right. And it's huge in purity culture and all of these really harmful, terrible things that are finally being critically analyzed as like, this is what comes of it. That is a win. (laughs) What a nice way to start this episode. Aren't you glad you brought me back? Yes. I just make everyone smile. You really do, actually, because we do actually care about what evidence gets to get brought in and evidence that doesn't. And we may get into that, you know, later in the episode. But that is 
it was a you know with the written house there was stuff that was um incriminating i would say that was not allowed in mm-hmm. and then i would say this is incriminating evidence right that isn't directly speaking to the crime that that person is uh, being uh, held accountable for in that moment, but does speak to their, what's the, there's a legal word for this. Propensity. Yes. And I will say there's a very clear demarcation in the legal system, both civil and criminal, when it comes to sex offenses and particularly sex offenses against minors the rules of evidence, the considerations are different because the one thing our system has finally taken into account on some level is that evidence of sex crimes is incredibly difficult to come by. Proving these types of allegations because of the nature of the crime crime. requires different evidence. And the, the type of harm you're protecting against is so severe that we're gonna weigh the balance a little differently. I mean, that to me sounds like progress. (laughs) It sounds reasonable the way I've just said it, right? I fall into that (laughs) trap sometimes. It when it plays out like this, like this is how that's supposed to work. Not so much in the sense that it took until however many years for him prosecuted for something, but in the sense of when we finally get to this point, we're not going to throw up even more barriers because of the kind of crime involved in this. Hmm. Good. <laughs> yeah. It's it makes me think of when you said like is this progress? You know when have you ever been installing software or yes. updating your operating system and it gets to that point where it hasn't moved. <laughs> And if you stare at the line long enough, it starts messing with your Mm -hmm. to where you've got to get like a piece of paper to hold it up to the lines to see if it's is that that type of Mm -hmm. speed in which Mm -hmm. progress is happening. So, I mean, it's there. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Burn it all down is the way that I feel about it and start over because it doesn't work. But in in that vein, when we know that, like, especially sexually uh, violent crimes. Yeah, like they are not, they they have not uh, historically been handled with the delicacy in which it should. And definitely, uh, you know, it's like, if we can't get some sort of uh, DNA, then it didn't even happen kind of thing, you know? Like- And I know I'm jaded and I watch too much Law and Order and none of that is real in the way. (laughs) I just had a thought. Yeah. So the DNA thing, where we are with medical advancements Mm -hmm. um, that have happened in the last, let's say, 50 years. um, Why is there not the process for people who are in prison saying... I didn't do this thing. Mm-hmm. Why is it not a blanket for all the people that were put in before DNA testing was available? We'll run this through for the evidence that remains. Um, why is that not a 
a thing. There's there's not always evidence that remains. When, yes, and I do understand that, but we have cases where there is. Or the people that have the evidence. Yeah, that, that have remains. the evidence, because it's like the Innocence Project and stuff has to come in and get half the country to say, check this out before they will. And it just seems like, why, why wouldn't that just be a thing that we do? Because we can. And it would. That is a very good question. Uh, if we choose not to allocate our resources like that, why do we have untest untested rape kits? Why mm. do we make a lot of the decisions that we make? I mm. don't have a good answer, but that's we've decided to put the burden on the ones claiming innocence yeah. to prove it as opposed to the other way. There it is. So one of I don't obviously know the answer to this question, but one of the reasons why is certainly you don't want to lose the the incarcerated labor force that you have amassed, right? So whether they're there or not, like certain parts of the system are never going to care if they were ever innocent or not. You know, it's just a body filling a space. And so certain parts of the system know they're innocent and don't care. We have judges making up crimes, quite literally, because we this isn't exactly on topic, but that's the the existence of a for profit prison system. There we go. Necessitates that there be a commodity. The prisoners are the commodity. Right. And you have to maintain a certain level of stock. Otherwise, your system collapses. Profitable. Yeah. Because you're not profitable. profit motive should never enter a punitive system. It, it your incentives are completely warped. Uh, a profit motive motive should never enter uh, anything that is supposed to serve. Uh, a better good anyway, like, you know, government and <laughs> uh, the justice system, all of these things that are meant to serve the people, at least in this country, are all have a profit motive. And so they're just serving a thing that is helps that tiny 1% of whoever is, you know, involved in that. And except for else is just Right. With the one exception being the military, because we never ask, well, how much is the military industrial complex making us? You know, the post office runs at a loss and that's a problem. But we don't you know, no one asks. It's not supposed to be at a profit anyway. Because exactly. It's a service. It's a service. It's not supposed to get a profit. The post office is not supposed to be out here balling on us. (laughs) Which also, as a quick tangent. The post office starting a podcast has really bothered me. And the <laughs> fact that they sent that, they sent that with my what mail I'm supposed to be receiving today update in an email. What are y'all about to be on there talking about? You are literally their target market. You signed up for tell me what my mail is every single day. You think they don't think you want to hear about the mailing system? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but I mean... I mean, if Santa can do it all in a night, y'all can make it happen just as fast. Hey, (laughs) if Santa can deliver all these gifts globally in a single night within a 12 hour window, (laughs) y'all need to figure it out. Y'all need some reindeers. They do. 
And they're going to ask you to fund it, too. They're funding it with their podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I wonder who their sponsor is going to be. Stamps is going to be like stamps.com. Better not be. (laughs) 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 Ah. A different kind of cross promote. I don't know. What that yeah, is. that is kind of nutty. I wonder if they're gonna be like like getting gripes off, like shooting shots at Amazon for putting the putting the stronghold on the stuff. Amazon. You, hopefully, what they do is take this moment to tell everybody that they are the ones still delivering the bulk of Amazon's packages because that's the truth. Yeah. If if without the U.S. Post Office, Amazon does none of the things that that we all love and want today it does none of it what which i will say the pressure that amazon like i would love to be a fly on the wall in the conversations that they have with these shipping companies because anything that i order that's non-amazon related be delayed crazy but somehow ups and fedex be sticking to the guidelines of Amazon's delivery time almost at like a 80% of the time thing for me. But anytime I go outside of it, it's these delays that are, it's a week after what y'all said, it keeps updating and then being somewhere else that it ain't supposed to be. And I feel that there's something to that, that Amazon gets it, gets them to get the stuff to us when it needs to be versus if I just hop on and order a random from a random company online and it's coming UPS or FedEx. It's, it's yeah, I wouldn't doubt that at all. I've paid attention. These are this is I'm pulling. Said, this me. is real. This is yeah. my experience. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't. So now I don't remember what we were just saying, but that we should definitely travel to a mountaintop, <laughs> find some uh, psilocybin. <laughs> <laughs> I was ranting about the private industrial prison complex, but <laughs> but we can talk about doing Same mushrooms thing. on Same top thing. of a mountain instead. <laughs> Sounds good too. I never said mushrooms. I said psilocybin. So no, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Feds yeah. listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this, Canathan, but we live in. Uh, what I believe they call just the hellscape now. And that is a place where we've decriminalized drug use. So that means there's nothing but mushrooms and needles. And, you know, when you walk outside, someone just. Oh, I thought that was an artistic display outside of the house. Nope. Nope. It's just drugs everywhere. Just people doing those drugs, just mountains and mountains Mm. of, you know, heroin, cocaine. So and let me ask you this. In the tangent realm, yeah, yes, sir. What is the proper, um, what is the proper way for somebody to introduce a hard drug to you that would make you <laughs> debate it? That is not where I thought this was going. Uh, a way to introduce a hard drug to me that would make you at least like be like, hmm. I mean, I think about it. Yeah, because I mean, I, and let me let Am me start I with sober? saying. If this yeah. like it was <laughs> so you're at whatever level if there's ever a level if it's maybe wine tequila whatever it is just your thing maybe you're on that level because you're in the environment 
and and this is this is coming from the place of I don't understand fully how there's hard drug users the way that there is after the late 1980s early 90s mm-hmm. and so oftentimes I wonder how what is that conversation that how did someone sell you on trying the meth trying money yeah especially okay. with everything we know we've seen right. yeah so what is a way that somebody could walk up to you and say hey friend is there a way I mean, realistically, I don't think so. But if someone like lied a lot and, you know, Mm. it'll make you smarter and have the Uh. best time of your life with zero side effects or consequences. (laughs) There's there's the one for me. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I think I'd also have to be I'd also. Yes, that like, yeah, I think that you would have to lie to me and it, it would I'm terrified of certain hard drugs because of uh, when I grew up and it was just like, oh, I see the effects of that one and that one and no thank you. And like that worked. So I'm terrified of certain uh, (laughs) hard drugs. Yes. And so I think for me, you would have to, one, I'd have to be high level of suggestibility. So I'm wasted, right? Like I'm definitely... I'm definitely already drunk to be considering what you're saying right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, you're going to have to lie to me and tell me, you know, like, no, no, no. It's not like the best feeling and you'll be chasing it for the rest of your life. Like, no, this will just be like the best night of your life or, or the best uh, night, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. When that was the the first thing when I heard about heroin that like the first time is the best time. And then you never you're chasing that forever. Why would I start? I yeah. don't understand why. Yeah. I yeah. So like, yeah, you're going to have to lie to me, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yours? Do you have an answer? I, I, again, the way in which my brain works in general, um, I saw the 80s and 90s. Like I, so there's, okay. there's not even a – and also – most people that have talked to me about drugs, the hard drugs never started with a good experience. They always tell me about their worst experience doing that drug. They don't know how to sell drugs. (laughs) And so it's, it's always hits like that. Don't sound fun. Like, don't tell me about all the work and then be like, but, and the, but this other, usually it's cool. No, I'm banking on that. Um, And then there's drugs that sound great. They sound like my type of drugs. That's why I won't do them. <laughs> um, it's, I'm not holier than thou. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so no, <laughs> I know I like it. Um, <laughs> but there's the thing of like, thinking of hard drugs and how they're taken. That is the turnoff right there. And that's another, another reason. Big syringe. Not. Or we gotta light, we gotta get a torch <laughs> and get this glass going. What are we That's doing? Also, right now? why I'm like uh, dabs or uh, thank you. Yes, that look. The first time I ever walked in on a dab situation happening without any understanding Ooh. of what a dab was. What They're definitely smoking crack now. I legitimately thought they had just jumped the line and got right in front of 
Because we all watched the same movies growing up. Right. And you know what a crack pipe looks like. And it's that. It is that. It is that. There is not supposed to be any other. Like, so, yeah, for your uh, cannabis consumption, it is hard for me to understand why I need a torch to do that. I don't. I don't want to accidentally, you know, burn my fingertips or my nose because I had to do this thing. And get flamed that hot. <laughs> and let me throw a disclaimer, because I know there's some listeners that are like, <laughs> I do understand the reason why people seek drugs and the effects of drugs. Oh, yeah. I'm not oblivious. I just want to throw that out there, because I know people, lit and sometimes they run in the way yeah. that they run. Yeah. I get that. But in general. <laughs> you know the effects of certain things, and you know what the what repercussions and consequences look like of those, whether those consequences are actual, like legally or just losing your teeth, you know, like there are, there are, or skin that it looks like scabs. I don't want any of those things. And if, if I know I can prevent it by not doing that thing that looks like could be super fun, (laughs) but like three months from now, my whole face is a scab hard pass. Yeah, no. But we're also, I mean, I'm coming to my answer from the perspective of a 38 year old mother of two who's just generally kind of risk averse and anxiety prone. <laughs> you would ask me 20 years ago, I probably would have had a very different response. <laughs> so That's it's a, a product of your time. What you have in your hand and then, then we go from there. <laughs> right. Look, I've been hollering dare worked for a very long time yeah. and I did then also. Yes. You know why? Drug resistance, abuse education. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. Dare to keep kids off drugs. <laughs> ah, I learned a lot. Um, did they ever come to your school? Either you two. We're in the same age bracket, Ella, me and you. Um, <laughs> Morg, uh, Morg's uh, got us. Fun. So, did they ever come to your school and do the the like host not smoking campaign, and do the doll attached to the clear lungs? I'm sorry, what? Whew, so something that has <laughs> stuck in my head for a very long time, like. Never smoked I can't cigarettes. imagine why. But they came with a doll, baby doll head mounted on these clear lungs. And no. they did this, put a cigarette, lit a cigarette inside of a school. <laughs> lit, <laughs> lit the the port up right there got it going <laughs> and did this like squeeze until it was like it was inhaled and it was showing like the lungs filling with smoke and then the black stuff that would come after a second and i think i was like third maybe fourth grade i already was never gonna smoke cigarettes as a third or fourth grader but <laughs> seeing that put it in a whole different light and i've never you know been able to get past that when i when i mean good 
Yeah, that it was, was just that like was just a scary character. like it was the baby doll head. It was like the thing that was at the museum. Or remember that yes. that human or human adult hand? Yes, on a, a on a toddler bot. Like no, I know artist objective, but that thing was terrifying. <laughs> and right off the elevator to where you didn't like, what? Ella, so we'll find a pick and get it to you. I'm fine, guys. I do not need to see this. Oh no, you definitely. No, you definitely need to do. See this. Sorry, you, you a part of this now. Great. Full blown toddler body with adult hands and realistic though, not yeah the uh, too yeah, realistic. Find we'll find it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, okay. All right. All right. That's I think we're supposed to be talking about legal things. I don't In know. Theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well. I don't remember exactly where we were in the last episode, but we were talking about uh, Rittenhouse, the McMichaels and Brian trial and uh, the Unite the Right rally trials. And I do just want to talk about really quickly about the self-defense portion that worked for Kyle Rittenhouse. And I know that we talked a little bit about that um, on the last episode, but like... I understand that uh, self-defense and, and laws in general, like there's differ from state to state. And so there are things that we think, well, I live here and this is how this works. It should work that way in Montana or wherever too. And that just isn't the case. So one self-defense is going to work differently in different states. And then two, um, I'm still like just trying to grapple with what was the legality there? How did self-defense work for Rittenhouse when he armed himself with a gun he could not legally have and well, went to a different place? And, and I think we touched on this last time, but the story that the jury got told is not the one that you are telling because he didn't show up with an illegally acquired weapon. Mm. And that is such a dramatic difference in the way that the facts are presented, that that's kind of where the answer to your question comes in. From the jury's perspective, what they, what Kyle Rittenhouse's attorneys, the story that they painted for them was that he was in fear of what was going to happen he took this weapon that he was totally lawfully allowed to possess and he went to this event where, and for context and again, why the judge fell into this idea that this wasn't racial and we're not going to talk about race <laughs> is because he went to a Black Lives Matter rally in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, somewhat like Oregon, has a heavily white population. What? A, I know. I was surprised too. Yeah. A Black Lives Matter rally in Wisconsin is a super white place. It just yeah. is by nature of the demographics of the place. Mm -hmm. So again, what the jury is seeing is this law-abiding young man with this little baby face and his history of working with the police and being part of the community. And he's Such showing up with the desire to help and protect. And then these big scary dude starts running at him. And he is just running at, I mean, look at this video where you can see 
the big scary bad man just mm. running at poor Kyle. And he just had to shoot back. Mm. The guy was running at him because he was holding a giant weapon and like threatening people with it. Mm. But from the view that they were looking at it, the guy was chasing him. And the reason, if you think that there's any chance that he was acting in self-defense, that is your reasonable doubt. So that's yeah how it fits into the, like, if you think it's plausible, because the criminal standard is very high for all sorts of presumably good reasons. And so it's beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you think he was acting in self-defense, there it is. And when you take out the illegally acquired at weapon, when you take out all race connotations, mm. which seems insane to me because I don't understand how you can remove it from that context, but mm. I'm not the judge. Yeah. And I got a couple of I got a couple of guesses on how that judge <laughs> could. Well, remove. and I will say about that judge, that judge was reelected to his like sixth or seventh child look up specifically term unopposed. And his last election was in 2020. He has been running for office since the 80s and elected with truly somewhere between 199.9 something percent of the vote. Because he's the person that runs. And he's the only one. I mean, I don't know how many local elections you actively participate in. I'm not judging. But there are always you get these pamphlets with the, you know, here's what you're voting on. And then just a, if you're lucky pictures, most of the time, just little paragraph descriptions. This dude is running unopposed. This dude is running unopposed. And it's human nature. You just you check the box for the guy running unopposed. That and really quickly, a lot of states don't have that. So it's even worse. I don't know what happens in Wisconsin, but what we learned maybe, I don't know, can two years ago or something doing this show was that, um, you know, there's hardly any states that did uh, mail in voting anyway. And then the ones that do, it's like us in Colorado that sends an actual pamphlet that is a voter's guide with your mm -hmm. with your ballot. There are other places that do mail-in voting. They're like, good luck. <laughs> right, because an educated so, voter yeah, is even worse. a terrifying thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's even worse, though, that you could just send out you know, your ballot or people show up to the polls and have not done any of that research and know anybody, any of the judges. And especially if you've never been, you know, affected by the criminal justice system in your own community, you may not know who the judge is. It's just a name that keeps circulating and every year or every however many years you vote for it, you know, like, so it's even worse that we just yeah. don't have that kind of education and judges run knowing that like that's a calculation it has to be that Absolutely. they know most people don't have any idea so they just vote for the person that's running yeah they they wait to run until there's an <clears throat> until there's an open seat so that they don't have to run against, against someone. someone they seek out these unopposed because i mean it's partially because of the way that our election system works. It's crazy expensive to run any kind of election campaign. Right. And there shouldn't be that kind of barrier to entry. That's a bigger question issue. But 
So I, you can't blame people for sort of forum shopping in that way, right, but right. it just perpetuates this insane system where the election is supposed to be like a measure of accountability, but you, I mean, who's holding this guy accountable? <laughs> right. So, so real quick, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like in this space and there's times where I wish sometimes there was a way to see the same scenario played out with different races just to see what the opposite view was of a close to identical situation because there's nothing in my brain and I like I've tried to wrap my mind around this I was standing waiting for my doc to call me in when the Rittenhouse verdict and all that stuff was happening um and I had a moment where I was speaking with my director because we were trying to figure out messaging for it. And it's like, there's not a bone in my body, fiber of my being. It's like, I can go in my room and grab my AR, hop in my vehicle, pull up to a rally, come here to protect my friend's establishment. Not even a friend, just a black establishment that's in this area. Property. and end up shooting someone and me see any type of sympathy like there I there's nothing not only would the whites be like yeah no I'm sure many of the blacks would be like oh yeah he was tripping you were bugging <laughs> he, he was tripping. like so like in my mind there I just can't wrap my mind around as a legal firearm owner carrier and all those things I still treated like I'm illegal. Yes. Like I still operate in a way that <laughs> this is not supposed to be happening. So you've got to do the extra things. And that's what runs through my mind. But again, if I grabbed my joint and went downtown at one of these things that, and let's not maybe not downtown, but a place where this is supposed to be, illegal a legal open carry situation and i'm just strapped in the amount of aggression that i would be met with by law enforcement yes and that has to be a hell of a feeling that you know for people that can operate in a place in a space that that's not a thought that runs through and <laughs> like there's nothing it i cannot figure out a scenario where that makes sense there's no logic I can try to apply where I'm not scared, <laughs> right? <laughs> like off the rip. Um, but then for something to escalate and me have to use my weapon. And I think about that often of even being a, a, a legal carrying person. If something escalated, the amount of times that I think about how I'm going to have to defend myself as far as the law portion goes. Right. If I had to defend myself, it mean it escalated to there. These hands work, they work well. So that's not my first line of defense is not to pull something. But if it went there and to feel like I'm still now about to be guilty <laughs> until proven otherwise, like that's a real thing. And it and we see situations like this where it's a clear display of how the comfort that, it, not just the comfort, let me put like the conditioning and this understanding that that's not scary that that young boy carrying the ar me at 17 
<laughs> carrying a slingshot is wild. <laughs> yeah. Terrorist. But that <laughs> legit. I just it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. And when situations like this do happen, that we're like, how did that work? I just want to see that work the same way on the flip side, so that you know I have I have an anchor in my mind that's like, oh, okay, I get it. This is this this is how the law works for all of us because all men are created equal that, that's nice but not <laughs> right 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 because it's not and it's right it's very obviously not but it, mm -hmm. that scenario is almost impossible to you know swap because right, right you wouldn't be treated no part of that process would go the same had Kyle Rittenhouse been black. It just, right. it wouldn't, we don't have a justice system that works along colorblind mm -hmm. lines and you have, you know, we, we dealt a lot. I remember with criminal procedure in law school and yeah, mm -hmm. everyone got real excited and like, here's what you do when you are in a, you know, situation with a police officer or some kind of, you know, are you free to leave? Are you really under arrest? Can you assert yeah. your rights? And there are conversations that do not happen with black mm -hmm. men because mm -hmm. you don't assert your rights. You <laughs> just do everything they say, shut up and hope you make it out alive. Right. And that's just not a consideration that a Kyle Rittenhouse ever has to take into account. His parents right. don't have those conversations with him. He's, I mean, honestly, probably grossly uneducated about any kind of racial issue that doesn't right. resolve him of responsibility, but he just, why would he have ever been taught? Right. Where would he have ever been taught? Right. And right. so it's just from day one, it's a completely different interaction from the very beginning because you're yeah. starting at different places. Yes. It's, 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 you know, it's always interesting <clears throat> of the shift that happens uh, today. There was a thing on social media that was like, post a picture of you in high school and found, found a high school picture and my baby face self compared to this old face. Now, you know, looking at it like, yikes, I look like a child, but Knowing my experience at that age with law enforcement, they never mm -hmm. saw that. There was never my interactions with police as a teen. It never came with this benefit of the doubt. It never came with oh, boys being boys. None of that. Even mm -hmm. with the most regular things like we I got put on gang detail and got blocked in with me and some friends walking home from school backpacks all the things got put on gang detail taking photos of all the minors now in the gang file system it wasn't just kids walking home we were mm -hmm. 14 15 16 tops in that group no activity mixture of boys and girls everyone has backpacks how are we menacing we are in our neighborhood. <laughs> we are in the place in which we stay. But now we flip that and let's, you know, drive through the other side of town. That would have never been a thing. I mean, that's the definition of privilege, right? That's what you get to get away with. Your, right. your presence as a black child 
a post-pubescent black child in and of itself is threatening. It's just, it just is. That's how we treat it. And no one seems to even question it. We give the benefit of the doubt, not just to like the Kyle Rittenhouses, but you have mass murderers and, you know, terrorists and school shooters and Lord only knows what. And when it's, when it's a white dude, we're always very concerned about their mental health (laughs) and what have they been through. And, you know, they're a product of their environment and they just need some help. (sighs) And maybe it's video games. Like, let's find something to blame besides this kid. Duke Nukem. But if it's... (laughs) But if it's, you know, a person of color, you just you never even get to that conversation. No one cares about their mental health or, you know, we were talking about the uh, the Jussie Smollett situation. (laughs) And it it made me keep thinking about it because, you know, we talked about in the written not in the written house in the McMichaels case, how many stars had to align for that crime to actually be prosecuted, much less for there to be a conviction. And to be a gay black man, and I realize this isn't a visual medium, but I am not, in fact, a gay black man. So I am guessing at the experience, Mm -hmm. but I'm assuming (laughs) that you go through some shit a lot. And unfortunately, there's not always like a camera around to document it. And I imagine that wears on you in a way that just fundamentally changes your relationship to society. Yes. But I haven't seen anyone talk about that. No one's addressing his potential mental health concerns in a way that a school shooter would be afforded. It's frustrating to watch. I'm sorry. I had to write that. Fundamentally change your relationship to. Jeez. Going in the journal. I'm going to expand on that thought. Yikes. Oof. Good luck being able to read that, because uh, I definitely, <laughs> the way it sounded, <laughs> that's a bunch of uh, squiggly lines right there. Oh, no, my handwriting <laughs> is the worst, but it makes perfect sense to me. Well, that's all that matters. Oh, you writing cursive? Oh, yeah. I can barely read it, though. Oh, so, see, my word? You can't read it, though? So I can read, like, I can... I'm so because I only write in pen and then all my letters connect because I never lift the pen up. So it's and it's not cursive, though. It legitimately is squigglies. And then if I mess butcher something, I'll just it turns into a blob. But I know what that blob is and can read it as if it was typed out. That's all that matters. That's that my superpower. That matters. That's my superpower, Mark. Well, now we know it. Bring back invisible ink. Uh, pens and markers because I feel like they never went anywhere. <laughs> I've not seen them. My kids haven't ran and raved about <laughs> your kids too old. <laughs> well, they they were young at one point, so they went through all the ages, and not once have <laughs> I been a request. <laughs> your own fault. I blame you. <laughs> you messing with their imagination. You're supposed to just I, show up with the invisibility, right, all the things, right, and be like. Right. Hey, look what you got. Back do. in my day, we pissed on paper, <laughs> pissed on our finger and scribbled, scribbled on the paper. And then we held up a lighter to it later. And the parts that browned, that was the. <laughs> we had different childhoods. <laughs> yes. I grew up. I grew, I grew up in. A to say the absolute. Village. 
in a remote location in Wisconsin. Okay. Thank you, T-Pain. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> so really quickly, there was something that Can said a long time ago that made me, uh, was a perfect segue to the question of, Ella, in your experience, have you ever seen a judge so sympathetic to a defendant the way that we saw it with Rittenhouse and uh, what's his face? Um, because I've seen a lot of like, I've I've seen a lot of uh, sympathetic judges in the way of like family court um, and, you know, major child abuse things. Um, and like, Larry Nasser or something, you know, where it's like so egregious and so that there there was no sympathy for from that judge. It was just definitely uh, sympathy for all of the victims. But have you ever seen like a judge be so sympathetic to one defendant? <laughs> My experience in this sort of world is fairly limited. Um, Trial wise, you mean? Yeah. Right. Trial-wise, certainly criminal defendant-wise. So with that proviso, no, I don't think anyone has really <laughs> seen anything like this. I mean, just based on sort of legal Twitter land, this was something else. And I I tried to do like some background research on just, you know, was this normal for this particular judge? Because maybe this is just how he operates and that would be equally odd but would at least make some kind of sense and no i mean there's conflicting information about there's some there were some articles that were saying he's defendants hate him and will do anything to get transferred out of his courtroom right but then there was other things saying that you know this whole like the defendant gets to pick his own jury out of a hat that's a thing he does all the time. That's totally normal. I don't understand <laughs> just fundamentally how, why that's okay. I mean, I get, I guess there's no rule against it. It doesn't really matter who picks them out of a hat, but it's certainly sending a message. I mean, I feel like it sends a pretty big message. This judge does that all the time. Is what... I found available on the internet as far as information goes. And that's the other thing. These types of things don't get reported on. Right. Because, because who's who sitting in would that talk area? about this and yeah. what, you know, it's relevant to like a tiny number of people in that local community. So maybe there's rumors, maybe there's talk, but he's getting reelected with 99% of the vote. Right. It's clearly not that big of an issue, but and, you know, maybe it was just optics and the way that it was being presented with, you know, seeing him kind of cuddled up behind the judge watching this video. I just that physical proximity between them threw me so badly because that the, idea on its own. Just, <laughs> the idea of being that close to the judge as an, an attorney in the courtroom would make me so uncomfortable. <laughs> the idea of the defendant like halfway on his lap was just okay. <laughs> That's apparently kosher now. I had no idea. I just keep being kind of blown away, even in those, like, what you said is so it. Who's reporting on this stuff, right? So, like, the people that live there don't even know this unless they're affected and have been in that courtroom and have been through that process. And for as much as, you know, uh, 
local news is going to tell you that your entire town is on fire right now and that every single person is looting and shooting and robbing and all of the things. It's still a small amount of people going through that justice system in Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? It's, it's still a small amount of people. So you're right. We, we don't see it. We don't hear it until we need to. And then it's like, wait, and that's been your, <laughs> you've been doing that. This is right. how you run your courtroom. Right. And then everyone gets all up in arms about, well, how could this have been allowed to happen? Right. <clears throat> And you look at, I think I forgot her name last time, but it's Mandy Matley at Fitz News has been doing all of this incredible reporting about the Murdoch murders in South Carolina. And she's been reporting on them for years, following this incredible, like the depth and breadth of the corruption is truly astounding. Yeah. And there's judges and lawyers and banks and just levels and levels of involvement. And it's all coming out now but this has been decades in the making. Right. The impropriety that inevitably happened in those courtrooms as part of this is something that may or may not rival what we just saw, but we have no way of finding out until either something so horrific happens that we can't ignore it. Right. Or just, you know, somehow the stars align one more time, but really we're, we're all kind of functioning on a lack of information and everything comes as a surprise, but really it's all these systemic issues because there's such little oversight and such little accountability. And these systems are so insular and self-perpetuating. Yes. And what are the, uh, just real fast, like what is a judge's term? Do you know that? uh, I don't, it depends on, I mean, this guy is elected. I think it's six year terms. Okay. Or if, if it's a if it's a you're appointed to the bench, it's usually a lifetime appointment. Right. Um, it depends on the state, the jurisdiction, all of those things. Or, OK, yeah. so is there a way that you can get a judge off the bench? Like what sure. are how how Push do them. we do that? <laughs> Push them. Again, it depends on the state. There's there's okay. a recall procedure or an impeachment procedure. It and it's, it's recall kind of thing. Like oh, so Wisconsin is very familiar with the recall process. <laughs> <laughs> Something quite similar, I believe, is exists for judges. Uh, but it's as everything else, it's a very expensive, very involved, right. very public process that needs huge motivation behind it. Which is why I think like the recall Ted Wheeler was a rough go from the jump because you have to have a ton of money. You have to get the word out. Even if the people like it, even if people agree with you, they don't know that there's a thing to do about it. Right. Until you have told them there's a there's an actionable item. There's a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. That word never reaches them, you know, like. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think I've, I understand how tricky a recall for a judge could be because a recall for a mayor who. Is Arguably a, more visible. a lot more people, right? Yeah, far more visible. People are obviously paying way more attention. That kind of thing was still like a cricket. And and it's intentionally so. I mean, the process is that difficult maybe. for a reason. You know, the whole system is designed to maintain the status quo. Disrupting the status quo is incredibly difficult. 
So I got a question. <laughs> what what are your thoughts on restorative justice? And does that change based on the offense? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I didn't answer the first part of the question, but the second part of the question yeah. is yes. that absolutely it changes based yeah. on the offense because, and I think I'm, you know, coming fresh off of my Josh Duggar conviction, very aware of the fact that there are certain crimes that you, and I'm sure there's going to be people that disagree with me on this, but mm -hmm. I think there are certain crimes where you can't go through that process of reconciliation sort of honestly mm -hmm. when you're dealing with when you're dealing with child predators the harm done like there's nothing that's going to come from that that's really going to undo the kind of damage that you caused there's right. no there's no possibility of rehabilitation in any real sense so well, so, I mean, when I was thinking about it, I think it's a very important component of a well-functioning justice system, like an idealized justice right. system. But it's so dependent on everyone acting in good faith mm -hmm. and being both honest and cooperative and engaging willingly. Like my my concern always becomes for the victim where you get this sort of, even if it's not real pressure, but this kind of subconscious pressure where I have to engage in this, mm -hmm. I have to participate to make my community better, to you know, prove that this can really work for some greater purpose. And yeah. it, whether or not it's actually helping in the way that you want it to, but if we're talking about it as like a, a way to disrupt the school to prison pipeline, then everything I've said is nonsense and it should completely replace the zero tolerance, punitive nonsense we have going now. Right. So, you know, it's all very context fact specific. I, just to know, like, I, I feel that. <laughs> um, and I think about too, in terms of like the person who's been harmed, because as our system stands now, there's not many options for their, like, what do they need? And that's the part that gets skipped over is just send them to jail. But does that do anything to help them? That's the part that in our current system. LOL, help. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. get discussed of what, what does this person need from this situation, right? Like, let's say drunk driving gets t-boned and so maybe that's on that part what that person does going sending someone to jail that's not going to repair that vehicle if there's some pt and things like that that are needed to get a person i feel like those are parts that we don't hear about the response being something that actually is going to make the person who was the victim or the person harmed um, feel like that person was held accountable. And that's like the big gray area that um, 
And this is like the space in which I work in. And so mm-hmm. like, I'm pulling some of this from that. Um, and so when we talk, you know, restorative justice, and I think there is this idea that it's like the, the all hold hands and kumbaya portion. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, it definitely gets deeper than that. But a big part of it is what does that person need? And if we start, if we were to <laughs> talk, because some people are going to say, oh, yeah, I want them to jump off a cliff. And that feeling is very valid. <laughs> very, very, very valid. Um, right. And then taking from that of like, okay, what are the things that outside of that, <laughs> you know, could be um, things that would actually help the tangible item that we can actually pull from and try to get here. Um, there are, I believe there's certain wicked that exists in this world that <laughs> I, I, nothing that you do is going to bring this person back to a point that they're going to be able to operate and maneuver through in a way that makes um th- that people are able to be safe yeah, <laughs> right for society right yeah for society right and I, although i don't have an answer for what to do with that and that wasn't even necessarily a question but <laughs> in, in it's the always cut. the question of people that are like you say abolition well what do i do with the blah 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 it's like so yeah. i mean no, yeah. exactly. Because we're fair, always the fair response that you have. Yeah. We're always looking for these broad, sweeping answers. A solution right. has to solve every and, single part of the problem. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just going to abandon it completely. Right. And that's nonsense. I mean, right. all of this plays a part. Like, yes, there are crimes that are genuinely unforgivable. Yes. And then there are crimes that the way that we deal with them just creates recidivism. And we know we're doing it and we're just going to keep on doing it despite all the facts telling us that this is not productive. Mm. But because we don't have an answer that solves every single part of that problem, we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. Well, that and the the ultimate goal of this particular criminal justice system in America is to house people in prisons. I mean, that is the goal. (laughs) So why would they want to, you know, and. This is why I am always like burn it down because as much as you want to be able to reform something, what you're saying speaks directly to that. If if the one answer can't sweepingly Fred Meyer this whole thing, one-stop shop it, and you just get to <laughs> this one thing will fix all of the things. If it's not that, then I don't want to hear about it is the way that we deal in the current realm. And Without the understanding that, like, there's so much money and energy and all of it, there are paid operatives to tell you that it would never work another way. (laughs) Yeah, we've tried nothing. We're all out of ideas. We're all out of ideas. (laughs) You have no idea. We've done all of it. And, oh, I know that you're saying, that sounds good, but we tried it and uh, didn't work. Like, yeah, there's just that whole we're going to band-aid or or fix it with one thing is like America. Like that's the, that's, Mm. that's the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So doing (laughs) this thing that's very popular in the movie industry and film. Oh boy. Callback. Scientology. Ooh. It's one of my favorite. Oh, I'm so excited. Definitely. That building downtown, very nice. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a person walk in or out of that building? No. Have you ever seen what appears to be movement inside of that building? No. no. I have seen shadows once and I got so oh. excited. It could have been a trick of the eye. Oh. It was a but trick. I of swore the eye. I saw someone walking around in there. Have you ever seen a McDonald's being built? <laughs> Whoa. I'm sorry. That was. No. Because if she said yes, I was going to say, what? Wow. Wait, is this two. like a, is this one of those things that like. You have just you, blew my mind. Have you, have you ever, you've seen it under construction for the add-ons. Yes. Have I've you seen ever seen a McDonald's built from scratch in your entire lifetime? However many years into the forties you are more, have you. What the. I did that was an arbitrary so much older than us. Yeah. Ella, There's leaps and bounds what? between where we're at. Are we technically the same generation? Oh, this is the questions that I'm posing regularly. We said last episode, best friends. Best friends. Here's, yeah. We're here. Mm-hmm. We're here. This is great. Mm. So back when you were growing up, more had you ever seen the construct was McDonald's a thing? And I didn't know about McDonald's until <laughs> my late teens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when they started. <laughs> it was just burger ramas. <laughs> burger rama. <laughs> no, it was just your mom made food. Oh, <laughs> was, oh. And if your dad did it, then he was oh, gay. That's how you were generalizing that. I thought yeah. you were saying your back when your mom made burgers. That's what I thought that was. Oh, that damn, I, I, wish I, I thought you hit me with a your mom joke. <laughs> I was like, oh, she killed it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, back to it though. Scientology. Mm-hmm. I read um went down a weird wormhole that was not on purpose and hearing about them beating the IRS. That sounds nuts. Uh, <laughs> how is that possible? Oh, it's do? such a good story. I, I told Morgan earlier, this could be like a very special episode. I could go on about this for hours. It is. <sighs> just amazing. Uh, I have a very particular brand of ADHD where I get fascinated with absolutely random nonsense. And this is so far up that list. So I condensed the timeline to make this slightly less than three hours. And (laughs) basically, short version is that in... 1957, Scientology applied for religious exemption status. It's not that difficult to get. You say, I am a church. I would like to be tax exempt. Okay. The IRS said, great. In 1967, about 10 years later, having sort of paid some attention to what was going on, they realized that Scientology was very much a for-profit enterprise. Indeed for fairly obvious reasons. They are selling their services. It it would be like if you walked into church and before they handed you the like book of (laughs) Psalms, you had to give Mm -hmm. them $30. It's that sort of transactional relationship. Okay. So the IRS said, you are not a religion. We are 
we are taking back your exempt status. You now okay. owe us taxes. Okay. Because that's the whole point of the religious exemption is that churches yeah. don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a huge amount of money that's at issue. And so once they came down with this ruling, Scientology said, that's nice, but we're not going to pay taxes. In fact, instead of paying taxes, we are going to devote all of our time and energy into figuring out how to get our tax exempt status back. Now, we know we can't do this through like facts or <laughs> logic and reason. Uh-huh. Not we're on our side. Get up as we go. Not on our- <laughs> so instead, they began what is known as Operation Snow White. I still don't fully understand why Snow White, really. But (laughs) the idea was, and again, context, this is the late 60s, early 70s. The idea Mm -hmm. was that they were going to infiltrate the IRS Mm -hmm. and all of these countries' offices from, you know, the London office, everything in the United States, they were going to create this spy program okay, uh, akin to just basically McCarthy's greatest imagination. Yes. They were going to make it happen. They were going to infiltrate at all levels of the government. They were going to steal all of the files related to Scientology, and it was going to be amazing. The thing is, they kind of succeeded. I'm a fan. Not in the way necessarily that they wanted. They couldn't, they thought they would get people hired in very high up places and infiltrate that way. What they ended up doing, they did manage to get a few people hired here and there, but really it was more like breaking and entering. And they succeeded in bugging the office of the IRS chief counsel. Shortly before meeting, and as far as like illegality goes, this is attorney-client communications are sacrosanct. So to bug the office of the chief counsel is a real big deal. You're not supposed to do that. You are not Mm -hmm. supposed to do that. They bugged the office and heard all of the strategy that they were using to go after Scientology because in the midst of all of this, they're auditing them and they are asking for their tax payments. And Scientology is basically telling them F off. And so there's all of these audits and claims and what Scientology started doing was filing Freedom of Information Acts, uh, sorry, Freedom of Information Requests under the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, which is available to any American. You can, if you, if there are documents that the government has that you think you have some sort of interest in or a right to look at, you can file a request. It's basically like a lawsuit. And they are obligated to answer within a period of time. So they would file the request and then they would break into the office where the documents they were seeking were held and steal them. Yep. Making it impossible to actually respond to the FOIA request that was in the court. Creating this litigation nightmare for the IRS that was sapping up all of their resources. And the reason I keep harping on the fact that it was the 70s was that creating this kind of paper log and red tape nightmare when you're talking about documents that aren't computerized right, is insane. And they, I mean, they did some fun stuff that like as a person who worked on document discovery just makes me like giggle a little because 
they produced uh, like a few million pages of paper and effectively like threw it up in the air and just let it fall where it may so that the IRS investigators had to quite literally sort through these individual pieces of paper and put them back together before PDF scanners. You couldn't even take a little picture of the thing, just manual all day, every day. The resources. And key calculator. Truly unfathomable. And so, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) (laughs) They're, and they're filing liens and Scientology, the IRS is filing liens. Scientology is contesting the liens. We've got all of these litigations. And what they did in skipping over a few other fun moments, but in 1989, they had the brilliant idea. And again, this we're all still litigating the decision that was made in 67. So now we're in 1989. They decide, hey, you know what we just thought of? Private investigators exist. And we have the names of all of these people involved in the IRS litigation. And when I say all of the people, I mean literally all of the people. You have the attorneys, you have the assistants, you have the administrative assistants, the interns, the paralegals. They go after everybody. They start files on each of these people. Who's drinking? Who's staying out late? Who's cheating on their spouse? Who's cheating on their taxes? Who didn't pay their vet bill? I mean, anything and everything that they could possibly find that would be in any way incriminating or embarrassing or you just don't want people to know. I like it. (sighs) And they've got it on everyone. And they also, at this point, have more or less unlimited resources because Scientology's entire... uh, structure is based on the idea that you have to pay for these courses Mm -hmm. and as you pay for them you move up the levels of knowledge you get Mm. more secret knowledge is revealed to you as you go and you go higher and higher up the ladder towards the attainment of this perfect being entity that you eventually go each way that you go and we're at and you get these fake awards at these giant banquets and there are i mean there's millionaires who are giving all of their money to this thing yes so their liquid assets are at this point probably far exceed those of the irs and so they have the ability to just go ham at these people that are government workers. They're not, you know, Goliath. They're government employees at the IRS in the late 80s. And so they scheduled a meeting. I believe it was in 1991. They scheduled a secret meeting with the head of the agency. Or I'm sorry, it was not a secret meeting. They dropped in unannounced. I can only, I mean, I have enjoyed myself immensely envisioning what this must have been like but basically they dropped by and they said guess what we've got all this blackmail on every single person in this department how would you like to proceed would you like to continue and remarkably their tax-exempt status was granted the best part Best part about this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, 91. So they they give them their secret deal. No one, like the actual details of the deal are super murky. They make Mm -hmm. a back payment of like 12 million in taxes. 
to account for the 20 inches the trunk of one one scientology dude yeah like one i don't even know what infinitesimal percentile but it's no nothing. money in comparison to what they have and the whole time though a lot of these underlying appeals are winding their way through the court system i i, I know it's a shock at this point but our system moves kind of slowly <laughs> and so the fun little twist in this is that in 1992 a year after they had been granted this fun secret deal the u.s court of claims upholds the irs's original denial of their tax-exempt status but at that point the IRS has already gone back on their own decision. And now it gets brought up constantly. But as we've discussed, once you are in the status quo, changing the status quo is so unbelievably difficult. And in this instance specifically, yes, Scientology is kind of a laughingstock. Yes, Tom Cruise is jumping on couches and David mm-hmm. Miscavige is a, you know, tiny little troll person. But they still have like a quadrillion dollars that they're sitting on. Yeah. And uh, these IRS agents, again, are government employees. And they know that as soon as they get involved in this, they're not going to be attacked in their professional capacity. They're going to be attacked in their personal capacity. I don't I personally do not care enough about the government's revenue to take on that kind of risk or responsibility. Personally. Personally. And so I don't know if it's fair to ask someone else to do it, but Scientology should not be tax exempt. So can I just want to add, because there's one thing to add that, and maybe it's an implication in everything that Ella just said, but they had a full-blown letter writing campaign that they went, you know, like Scientology works in, uh, it's around the country, so it's global at this point. But like in this moment, think of it as, you know, we have our big conference in, you know, Orlando or whatever that uh, every Scientologist comes and no Mm -hmm. one's gonna miss it, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's there and they're like, listen, we got a problem. The IRS, the government is messing with us. We're not gonna deal with this. I need each and every one of you to write 10 letters a day. Yeah. And in those 10 letters, you're not just going to say, this is my religion and I love it. And this is how I write. You're not going to just witness that. You're going to also say, and I know where you live. Mm -hmm. And And I know where your kids go to school. I know where your kids go to school. I know where you go to work. I know which route you take. And And we're going to see. To add to that, the thing with Operation Snow White, where they were breaking and entering, and these aren't allegations. No, like, this is- people were arrested and prosecuted and spent time in jail for these very, very obvious crimes. And after that, they still got their tax exempt status back. But that letter writing campaign was such a big deal because they were the, to Ella's point, Government workers were inundated with like personal threats. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like these are, you're just, I just work at the IRS and I just process this one, one thing. I don't even do anything else. I just do this one thing. Those people are getting personally threatened. Those people are being written a thousand letters a day. I mean, there's so many people. And if you ask you know, hundreds of people write 10 letters a day and I'm just going to give you who you write it to. 
and that stuff just gets done and they just get sent, you, as the employee, may get a thousand letters. You may get 500. You may get 20. But these, I mean, it was an onslaught of not only am I bearing witness to the fact that this is my absolute religion and I believe in this and all of us are doing this thing. Also, I'm going to extort this situation. I know where you live. <laughs> I know where your children go to school. Like it was a multifaceted Snow White is a multifaceted campaign. Mm -hmm. It's not just we're going to spy and we're going to do right. th this full blown thing. And the idea that you like this is speaks to what you were saying earlier, where it's like I could never just go grab my AR and walk outside and protect someone else's property and it'd be cool. In no capacity could I think that you can just start threatening people at work to get your way. Like, this is the way beyond a, a Karen at a Starbucks, right? Like, this is way Have beyond. Have you ever considered finding, founding your own religion, though? I've definitely asked in <laughs> a few times on the interwebs of thinking about starting a cult. Because I'm just Elron Hubbard woke up one day and said, quite literally, exactly. like the, the best way the... to make money is for me to start a religion. And I think once you clear that hurdle where you're just going yeah. to invent a dogma, I don't think that's a level of entitlement that's relatable in yeah. any possible way. Because it's more than entitlement. That is mental illness. It's true. Yeah. Like, you're not going to tell me that L. Ron yeah, Hubbard Life is lived by the bold. <laughs> okay, you know what, Ken? Also, the takeaway from this whole section is that 1992, not only was the truce of nine deuce that got the bloods and the crypts to put the guns down, but Scientology got the IRS to put the law in their back pocket and walk away. That mm -hmm. is amazing. Yeah. So... Because I am a cult fanatic, I am someone who, if there's a documentary about a cult, I'm watching it. If there's a book, I'm reading it. If there's more for me to know because of whatever, I'm doing that too. That particular question was like, I can answer this whole thing. I can give you all of it. And <laughs> I'm, I'm super proud that I could have, but Ella came with a, a couple of other things that I definitely forgot about. But all of that together, like this is the thing that gets me is that there's it's not just L. Ron Hubbard coming up with this, you know, religion, big air quotes. It's also the people that buy into it. And even, you know, in the beginning, it's the people like even if you're, you know, uh, Miscavige now isn't maybe maybe doesn't believe in Zanu or whatever their Zenu. Is, right. Zenu. Thank you. Maybe he doesn't believe in that today, <laughs> but he believes in the premise of what Scientology is doing for him, right? And so Absolutely. he's going to continue to forever perpetuate every single piece of that because of the power that he gets from being at the top of that. So same thing for all of these, you know, an MLM, another religion, like all of those things, it's proximity to power is going to change the way that you handle the scandal well and all, mm. to bring it back to some of the other things we've talked about with the problems with how our government functions you're 
this is the fight that you're fighting and you've got in this instance scientology on the one hand and these irs employees on the other right and it's the same sort of thing we were talking about with like the public defender's office you're you're not paying these people enough to take on what you're asking them to take on and because we're not willing to allocate the resources we're not going to get the results that we want back. You, I can't ask these IRS employees to take on personal threats from Scientology in exchange for whatever paltry salary they're getting, which regardless of what it is, is probably a third of what they could get in the private sector. It applies at all levels of the government. And so those are the people that you're working with. These are our decision makers. These are our like movers and shakers and power brokers are the ones that can afford to take this hit or right. that just get something else non-monetary out of that. And that could be, you know, your ability to do good for the world and help your fellow man and make your corner of the planet a little bit nicer, or it could be a power trip. <laughs> or it could be. 50-50, <laughs> coin toss. It is kind of a coin toss, not at all. <laughs> Like, not at all. Like, I, I feel like we just definitely have all the evidence to provide with us or, or to tell us. We do. I mean, we, ju we just passed this insane military spending bill that, you know, if, if money is imaginary at this point because money we is fight. It, I mean, we fight over dollars and cents when it comes to arts funding or, you know, any sort of program that might help the poor in any possible way. I was going to say, literally snap, like food, food right. for people. We have lunch debt for children. There is lunch debt for children, Ella. What are we doing in this? Like They're children. They should just be eating. I mean, we can afford to feed them. I have debt as a third grader? I, I just the very concept and the fact that they're they're expelling kids or not letting them graduate because of lunch debt because that's something that the child can control and should be punished for do you watch the show shameless at all <laughs> i used to watch the show shameless and i liked it immensely it was a tad triggering yes very much so in multiple ways actually that, just that, a lot of ways yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, in this, their last season, uh, I just finished watching the last season. And in the last season, they address, I love the way that they address social commentary and things that are actually happening, uh, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, lower income folk. And they addressed the lunch debt scenario in the way that Liam, their little black kid, mm -hmm. <laughs> was making lunches, taking them to school. And it didn't matter if he was selling it or giving it away. It was, you can't do that. These kids have lunch debt. They just can't eat. Or they eat what we give them. And what we give them is, you know, worse than whatever the school lunch is going to be anyway. And it's like... That sounds like a healthy educational environment. This is the <laughs> this is the perfect way to describe what happens though, right? Like... An outside entity could come in, have a solution, and they're like, ah, this isn't the way that we, no, we do it this way. And those kids can't eat your peanut butter and jelly sandwich because they have debt to me. I just, that mindset that you can look at a child and see 
a dollar value is right. I'm I don't understand it. I don't I don't see it as a political difference. It's just it's such a fundamentally odd way to look at the world. I, I, I always trip off of the arguments about that and realizing there's humans that look at that and say, no, they shouldn't just be fed. I, I don't. Never going to understand. There's that. the moments, in, and I say this often, of like, there's times I wish I could, uh, science to get there, where I can just jump into somebody's mind for a moment to experience what they feel, see, and how they interpret things, just to know what's going through their mind as far as the logic to that and where that's coming from. Because mm -hmm. it blows my mind that you can look at a child. I can understand not having as much grace for an adult. Sure. I can get it. But when it comes to a child, to have debates back and forth about food, <laughs> their ability to eat, to consume basic foods. This isn't filet mignon. We're not, we're not talking right. about a roof Chris trip. We're talking about a square pizza, uh, some weird uh, lettuce with raisins. It's <laughs> no. never fun stuff. No, actually, the dino nuggets. Definitely <laughs> fun. <laughs> Brontosaurus well, nuggets. <laughs> but if fun. you're talking about a kid with lunch debt, then the possibility that that's the only meal that they're getting today exactly. rises significantly. Dumb. And Mundo. the fact that you would just willingly take that away from a child, it just feels so cruel and inexplicable. Yes. Yes. I like it. We're going to take our break now. Give us a little quick, little quick oh, it's 849, so we'll take our 10.5 seconds. Come back to it. Okay. Come back at <laughs> 9. 9 on the dot. Uh, we may not go uh, that much long. Like, it, I don't know that it'll be a full half an hour after, but I think we should definitely get those last three questions asked before we hop yes. off. Okay. I'm down with it. Swing. Hey, and the pro going. Oh, fuck mm. you. Are you serious? Yeah. We got a thing tomorrow. We get the mm. croak and boost? Tomorrow? I was candying cranberries while I was like texting you about what time to start. See? Personal pastry chef is a personal, personal pastry, pastry chef. Pastry chef is a personal pastry chef. <laughs> I do not take my titles lightly. Well, I'm going to go get me a honey bun from the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go pee. <laughs> Thanks. So I have a couple of questions that I feel like are incredibly uh, important. And that first one is when people are wrongfully convicted mm -hmm. and then they're released decades later, mm -hmm. why are some people compensated for that time that they have spent uh, wrongfully in prison and Sometimes it's just like, good luck. Well, it depends very much on what state they're in. Hmm. Because one of the fun features of our system is that how much <laughs> justice you're entitled to very much depends on where you happen to be born. Weird, right? What? I need you to stop. Oh. Because mm -hmm. You just literally took a, a piece, I think, just, a, just a, took a piece of my soul when mm -hmm. you said, how much justice are we entitled to? Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, 
just how much yeah. justice do you get? Right. Yeah. Well, because those the idea that we all get the same amount is sort of nonsense. And non-sickle? Non-sickle. 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 <clears throat> it's the entire basis behind states' rights. It's mm. what counts as fair is different in Nebraska or in Florida or in Ohio. I'm going to be real. Or- Nebraska doesn't seem fair at all. <laughs> I'm just going to jump out on a limb and say that. Keep going. Before we disparage Nebraska too much, I'm just going to throw a fun fact at you. When I say it depends on what state, there are 13 states that <laughs> offer absolutely no compensation whatsoever for wrongful conviction. Were they colonies? Are they the colonies? <laughs> the 13. Well, no, Oh, okay. One of them is Oregon. Uncomfortable oh. pause. <laughs> Fun fact, we are one of them. It's not so fun fact. A legislative choice. And Oregon is a lot of sense for Oregon, though, doesn't it? Like Oregon is the land of fun facts. We were also uh, one of only two states to allow non-unanimous jury verdicts. For felony crimes. Fun story. That was a Jew's fault because Oregon is Klan country. So there weren't like that many black people around to be racist against. So we went real hard into the anti-Semitism. And in the 1930s, a Jew killed a Protestant in Oregon. How dare they? And there was a hung jury. There was a single individual who refused to convict this Jewish person was also and a Jew, so, but passing or something. Uh, the presumption was. Mm. And so this person whose guilt I'm presuming, but who knows? Right. He was allowed to walk and they literally changed the way that the jury system worked as that a result, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> and from then on, you only needed 10 votes on the jury what? and out of 12 to get a conviction. Uh, in other jurisdictions, this was a more blatantly racist reaction to black people being allowed to serve on juries. But because it was always, you know, the one, the only, the token, uh, kind of weighed out against those one or two votes. It was a nice little compromise. The Supreme Court has since said that that's unconstitutional for felony offenses. But again, Oregon, that's us. Leading the way, baby, creative ways to be a bigot. So, but to your actual question, it's, it varies state by state of the out of there's the 13 states that have nothing of the remaining states. I think 22 have a, some kind of judicial process and they allocate a specific number per year. This is separate and apart from. Right. If, if you have some kind of civil rights violation or, you know, you have a separate wrongful claim against the state uh, in most jurisdictions, that's a separate calculation. And that often gets deducted from what you would otherwise get. And there's also each state puts their own sort of whatever you want to call them, burdens, checks and balances on this process. And so, for example, if 
if you have other felony convictions, you may not be eligible for compensation. <laughs> the idea being that, sure, you are wrongfully incarcerated here, but you did something bad here. <laughs> what? That logic doesn't follow for you? That's it. That pause. Wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. Because here's here's all I just heard. Mm-hmm. Everything is, in fact, about race. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of like, but you you make everything into race, Morgan. Andy's out there. And here's the thing. Everything's about race. You mean to tell me <laughs> that that in particular isn't because some black person was caught being truant or something. <laughs> and then... Or I guess that's not a felony, but like, give me a low level felony for a thousand, Alex. And they had I mean, marijuana distribution. Exactly. And then someone tried to Emmett Till a situation and they were able to uh, be found later not to be guilty of that. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, we're not giving him no money because remember that one time he took something from the corner store? And mm -hmm. so for people that may be like, I'm not tracking. So this is, I'm going to put it into the context that works for the Thank chads. You. <laughs> you get put on restriction. Your gaming system is taken away. Your parents learn you didn't do that thing that they took your gaming system for. Mm -hmm. Instead of your gaming system coming back, they say, you remember that one time? <laughs> yeah, so we're just gonna keep this. You almost burn uh, the house down with those. You can go outside people. though. <laughs> we're gonna keep the gaming system here. <laughs> you play tag with your friends mm -hmm. because of that other no. time. Mm -hmm. Meaning, of another time, most likely you might have did this, but we just couldn't prove it. <laughs> no, but even if we did prove it, it right? It because she said if you've been convicted of another felony, so that's a proven. That's what I'm the other times were proven. Right. Mm-hmm. So, did so, I not already do a punishment for that other time? Is what I'm saying. Sure, but didn't that's a already... complaint. We don't allow felons to rehabilitate in in really nope. any level. Ella, of that's what this system is. Same for. thing they say about cheaters. <laughs> it, I mean. Okay. Technically, yes, <laughs> with just slightly different repercussions, but yes. The same logic. And also sometimes none. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, when you're you've in theory <laughs> paid your debt to society, you've served your time, but you come out and even I mean, you can be wrongfully convicted and yeah, yeah. we're cool with that. You can be yeah, denied housing. Totally you can be denied employment. It's we treat felons as though they are constantly still being punished which is a very backwards way to treat criminals if you want them reintegrated into society, which we claim we do. Which also abolish parole and probation. Keep going, sorry. Also, always. 100%. And I mean, some of the numbers, I mean, speaking of parole, sorry, you know. That, you threw yeah. that in and now I'm just sitting on it. Like, let's talk about that. Sorry, go ahead. Sure, no, let's talk about it. Because, and I mean, 
probation doesn't exist in the federal system. You serve 85% of your time, no matter what. Right. Yay. But also on a state level, probation tends to be justified by things like overcrowding. You know, a lot of probationary periods have started because of COVID, for example, and nonviolent offenses and that type of thing. And it's hard because I understand it sounds like such a great idea, you know, (laughs) where you can continue serving your sentence while reintegrating into society with just some sensible restrictions. Right. It's, it's set up so that you fail. And again, without any of those, like we're not going to give you people to succeed. (laughs) People succeed. Right. (laughs) So, you know, we don't give you any resources. We don't give you any help and we make it impossible for you to succeed. Right. You can't can't get a job because you got that on the record. Because you're a felon. But you also have to pay us the dollars to do all the things that we don't do for you. And by the way, not just being a felon, being accused of a felony, you generally have to disclose on any kind of employment application. So even if you're not convicted, this stigma follows you around effectively forever. And there's no way of reforming anything until we deal with that specific problem. Shout out to the school board. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I was the best teacher y'all had. (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'm backing out. <laughs> there really is something uh, to be said about a system that goes that way, right? And then will mm-hmm. somehow like not know that there are police officers that kill people. You know, like they they can just leave Kenosha and go to, you know, Chicago and they don't talk to each other. But anybody who has been through that system in either of those places, we all know about it. We can all know that, oh, you have a mugshot and it lives on the internet. And, you know, like there's really something to be said with the fact that we spend all of this money to tell you that we're all about rehabilitation and we're just trying to get people back out and integrated into society and yada, 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 when every action is different than that. Uh, it really is just like it. It all always kind of just comes back to America. Like the, it's <laughs> all so on purpose, and it's <sighs> working so well in its current iteration because we. It, it has always worked, obviously, for the people that it works for. But now, in the age of information, where we can so immediately know what happened in Kenosha or know what happened in Seattle and we're just in our little homes in in Portland or whatever like with this ability to share information the way that we have it and realize these injustices so much quicker like we don't have to wait until a history book is printed we we can do it right now and there's still a ton of inaction right like there's still a ton of people like wow that sucks well, because everyone looks at it as an outlier. Like this is an unfortunate yes. incident yes. that has happened, but it's yes. not a reflection on our system as a whole. Yes. 
because even with all the technology and all of the information sharing, most of this doesn't get out. And so you get to live with the fiction of what our system is supposed to be like versus what it's actually like. We're catching so, the sensationalized stories typically. Our, mm -hmm. our, most of our interaction with the judicial system is based on the television, the mm -hmm. papers, media. So we're seeing oh, so that these... means black men that kill and white women that go missing. Got it. Yeah. I mean, got it. That's so it. in the space of the people who do get out and get 14 million, and that's a crazy number, 1,672,800, once they are found to be not guilty of the crime that they sat in jail for 30 plus years for, how do they come up with those figures? So it's, there's a, each state again is different, but it's basically the federal standard is 50,000 per year of actual incarceration. See, like, that's how you know that they want us broke. 50,000 a year? 50,000 I mean, per year. In most places, that's a, a yearly salary. That's a, that's your, not saying I I know what you're saying, I hear you. Okay, fifty thousand in non-coastal places. Thank you. Is a bag. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, and there are there's some states. You know, Texas offers up to eighty. Colorado is seventy, and it it'll if you're on probation, you get some smaller amount for the number of years you were on probation. An extra hundred thousand if you were per year on death row. A little so, bonus, a little bonus bag for what death row did to you. Baby. Should not be laughing. This is do terrible. they not? <laughs> does it come with free lifetime counseling? It doesn't. Oh, and that's what I would. But that's need. what we don't offer anyone, and we need. I mean, Oof. I even I keep returning to this Duggar trial, but I was thinking about the jurors who have had to see all of this. Yeah. They have been exposed to genuinely traumatic information. And we say, thanks, guys. Sorry, that was awful. Bye. Go back and to work. <laughs> We're going to hit you up in three years. We're going to hit you up in three years. And like can... with probably full blown PTSD. No. Yes. And Not problem. <laughs> every single part of the system, we don't offer anyone counsel, not the victims, not the perpetrators, not the finders of fact. I mean, I can't on some level, I feel for these judges in the system, because after you're confronted with that kind of trauma, that sort of I mean, it has to change your outlook without any sort of. But rules of engagement, when you sign up for a thing, knowing what you're getting into, me going to jury duty, reporting for jury duty, I don't know what I'm getting into mm -hmm. until I've been selected and got there. going. So there's a certain level of, you know what you're getting into. Oh, 100%. But I think a lot of like human nature is just inherently fallible. We make the yes. wrong choice whenever we're presented oh, no. with choices. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just the thing we do. I don't I know why we're like this. What sex felt Look like at, at 14, had a mm -hmm. kid before I turned 15. <laughs> I choices. Like choices were made. Choices. You know? Pretty, pretty, I am pretty good at sex. That's what that, that's what that says. <laughs> I'm good at the sex. Let's go with that. What it tells us. <laughs>
empirical data right there. Also <laughs> says condoms should do better marketing towards teenagers. No, 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 no. Nope. I will not let you live with that in text, and I will not let you let you live with that in verbal communication. That is not condoms issue. Condoms, yep. yes, it is. Yep. Sex yep. happens when hormones rage. Hormones rage in your teenage years, not when your birth date says, I'm 18. No, <laughs> it happens when those hormones rage. So you should, as the protector of sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancies or trying to uh, uh, minimize those, you should target the people who need the information oh, I, the most. Yeah, and I'm not mad at that. I'm not so mad at that. I'm just saying it was a class action lawsuit and you have coming. to use them in order for condoms to work. They were not right. marketed. They were when I saw commercials, <laughs> it was like 20. Hair. It was 29 year olds in a club somewhere with Zima. Like, but, OK, that's not what they were marketing. Towards one, Ella. Representation. And this man just said a Zima. Uh -huh. That's that's the marketing in the 90s was you t two Zimas in a in a bar. It's time to go. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I still get I should be compensated. Absolutely not. <laughs> See how I pulled that all back in? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I have a question about compensation that isn't that kind of compensation. Sure. So recently in that uh, Unite the Right rally trial, mm -hmm. there was a $25 million judgment mm -hmm. against the organizers of that rally. And I know that that's civil damages, not criminal. Yes. Situation. But, yeah. but again, the $25 million verdict is to go to who and to, like, how do we come up with that number is in this situation when it's civil, is it a different kind of calculation? I guess is what I mean. Like this is a defense attorney uh, or someone who is, you know, representing uh, litigants saying, I think this is worth that. Is that how that goes? Like, uh, plaintiff's attorney in this case would Thank be you. Yeah. giving the numbers. And yeah, that is basically how it works. And it's the damages are meant to send a message. And there is sort of this underlying understanding that we're not going to worry with the logistics of how you get this money specifically. We're just going to say you are entitled to an amount. We, the jury, are going to say you're entitled to an amount of money that we think is going to send a message, both to the people that did this in this instance, and presumably to other people who want to organize events like this, that there is going to be liability. And in this country, an immense amount of how we behave culturally is determined by litigation. Like when I became a parent, the number of things I learned about why certain products are and are not available. And the answer is universally because somebody sued and the calculus turned out that it was easier to recall them. I mean, it was it, parenting. There was there was some little like chair that was out when I had my first kid that was just the most super popular thing. And people were apparently putting it on the top of things and kids were falling off. 
And so by the time I went to have my second one, it was no longer on the market in its original form, had been modified severely, and now was apparently bad for you. This is a chair. That functioned as a chair for like a six month old. Or you like shove your baby in. You you shove your baby in this chair Mm -hmm. and then it keeps your baby upright. Who would not normally be able to be upright at Mm -hmm. six months, right? Right. Are any of those parents on death row? (laughs) No, sir. So there's my question. When a parent then puts that chair with a child in it on top of, you know, the shelving in the garage and then that falls off because it doesn't go on top of pillows. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be on top of something like a true surface. Um, like the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that, and, and we have all of these, we have all these theories of tort of harm that explain the duties and responsibilities. And the argument there is basically you didn't you knew that this was a potential risk and you didn't warn me against it because you just you have to constantly so basically white. to the lowest common denominator. I'm sorry. Yeah. What? <laughs> I mean that literally. I get it. Because if parking tickets were a dollar. <laughs> no, but exactly. And so with I the back in with the United Unite the Right rally, <laughs> they're they're trying You've got compensatory damages that are compensating for a harm. And then you have punitive damages that are, by definition, to punish and deter, in effact. Like, it's going to be expensive. If you want to start a hate rally and Mm. encourage people to be their hateful rallying selves, you're going to face consequences if somebody dies really the people that are going to make the money off of this are probably the lawyers. Yeah. Mm. And because there's going to be such a fight to collect these judgments and the people against whom the judgments are sought, even if they never pay out a dime, this is a significant consequence. Having a judgment like that follow you around, it's garnishments on wages, it's liens on property, it's an expensive legal battle. It is, in effect the highest punishment that a civil court can impose. They're going to make your life just deeply uncomfortable. That might be the best that comes out of this. I mean, other than, you know, the guy who actually drove his car. Yeah, that guy's right in jail for ever and ever. But from a liability perspective, that's the only recourse our system gets us. And we, we are, we're making up the numbers because we're, trying to make this a big message because we as a society have decided you shouldn't do this. So in the criminal justice system, we use football numbers uh, Mm -hmm. in the way of you're going to do 30 to life. (laughs) Sure. Something something like that. Listeners, football numbers, street slang for double digit sentences. Had to be a translator. Thank you for being the translator there. Um, to be the deterrent to other criminals thinking, I would also like to murder in that same way or whatever. And then in the, in the civil world, we have the football numbers of compensatory damages that you will have to pay. Uh, We're going to give you a $25 million judgment. 
I, and I, I understand the, the $25 million judgment. I, what, what worries me in these moments is one of those definitely gets done. <laughs> like if I'm convicted of something and I get the 30 to life, I'm definitely going to jail and I'm or prison and I'm doing 30 years to life. But if I do the unite the right rally and I'm a head organizer of it and they I there's a twenty five million dollar judgment against, you know, the eight of us or whatever. I mean, you may never not get a dollar out of me. Right. Because if you are garnishing wages, I just now no longer work on the books. Mm. Exactly. I'm, but, I'm, not, I'm, I'm now what they say. Immigrant that's not a state. Right. Like the they're, they're going to have to pay that is just leeching. I'm now. No, the, no taxes. the state. Right. The state doesn't have to do it, but you also you can't take out a loan. Right. There's a there's, lot. There's a okay. lot of things that you can't. We I mean, honestly, it's kind of like being a felon. We make it really, really difficult or to function in society or being poor or because you're not getting a loan if you're a poor person either. So mm-hmm. like, if you're already poor and you were just out here doing felonies and the felonies didn't get anything, get you anywhere. And it's all financial. You ain't had no money from the jump. So you don't care. So when the compensation though, like after a wrongful conviction happens Mm -hmm. or it gets overturned, where is that money coming from? That money is coming from the state. Okay. That's taxpayer money. Yes, that is taxpayer money. So we, we pay we to put them away, and then we pay for oh, them when they come back, back out. Yep. All us, all the time. Earlier you said um, lawyers benefit from that, mainly in the... the A civil situation civil, like yeah. that, yeah. So young Dolph was on to something when he said, she likes to argue, so I sent her to law school. See? Yes. Rest in peace to that, man. All right, mm-hmm. that was a great, great idea. Oh man, you just put that whole young Dolph uh, line into context for me t- in a different way. Um, one of my aunts is always like, "You were supposed to be a lawyer. You're supposed to be a lawyer. I'll send you to law school." She's just trying yeah. to tell me I like to argue. Wait a mm-hmm. minute, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> also, that so, doesn't actually make you a successful lawyer. Not even mm. close. No. Mm. No. Not even close. Yeah, that's valid. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Public defenders. Public yes. pretenders, as they're known in the <clears throat> streets. Oh. <laughs> Usually they're portrayed in a way that it's overwhelmed and they be having like, they come in with this stack that's like. Oh, your name's Tom? No, not Tom. You're John? Oh, no, you're not John? (laughs) And it's a lot of papers. And is that how it is in real life, or is that just for the movies? It depends. In popular culture. (laughs) My favorite answer. But it really does depend, because public defenders are factually underfunded and overworked just we don't love offering services to poor people a public defender is a service for a poor person so not a lot of resources are allocated towards making them successful 
That said, the people that go into the public defender's office are Mm. a very self-selected group and are far more likely to be that sort of genuinely idealistic and person looking to do good because they really aren't getting either an ego trip, a power boost, or monetary compensation to make this worthwhile. So they're doing it for some other greater purpose. And most of the people that I've known personally that have gone into that general line of work really are doing it with the best possible of intentions. They are human beings. Mm -hmm. That caricature of, you know, the pile of papers and the attorney that doesn't know which client they're getting to is that standard? Probably not. Has that happened? Almost certainly. Because right. these are they're people and they're young people. You're graduating law school at 25, 26 years old. My time management skills were shit. <laughs> I'm sure some people were better, mm-hmm. but you're you're juggling case files, presumably for the first time, as like a real professional. And you know, you're tired, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, had a rough night. And we, when we were in law school, we were told we were in a service profession. You are providing a service for people. And as a public defender, you're providing a service to an immense number of people, all of whom need you in a very desperate way. Right. <laughs> and... But you're limited by the resources available to you. There's there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many things that you can do. And they, as a general matter, are all trying to the best of their possible ability. But most of them just burn out very quickly. Yeah. Because the one thing that you do get from the public defender's office is a kind of trial experience that is impossible to get anywhere else. I, I was a corporate litigator for like almost a full decade. I can count on my fingers the number of times I was actually inside of a courtroom. They are taking on their own trials within months of being at the office. And so once you've got a couple of years of that kind of experience, you're in huge demand. Yeah. Private firms are offering you signing bonuses. And so you don't end up getting a huge amount of institutional experience because there's so much turnover because we make it so difficult. It's kind of like social workers. We expect them to be heroes and we compensate them in a way that isn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. And so you get people who are overworked and burnt out and they seem like they don't have any empathy or like they're not trying, but it's really just, we've made the system so difficult that even for those people, it's the weight on them is crushing. And so they end up often being viewed as doing harm because they are doing harm, but it's not... They're not doing it intentionally. They're doing what the system is forcing them to do. They're not operatives. They are just uh, victims to that, their own circumstance in that moment. Right. And you think about, you know, you've got as a defense attorney, what do you do? You investigate 
the claims against your client. You try to find the holes in the arguments. You look for evidence yourself if you can. You'll you know pull up phone records, whatever it is that you need to do. And when you are constantly facing these cases that you know you're unlikely to win because you don't have, you know, you can't launch a huge investigative campaign. You can't pick these minutiae fights for evidence to be excluded or not because you just don't have the time or resources. And then you're pushing people into settlement because from your perspective, this is good for them. Like this is a much better deal than you're ever going to get. And so you, you think that this is how to best help them. And it's, it's just such a horrible self-perpetuating cycle. And then the one, the people who are really trying to do good can't last in that kind of environment. Okay. So how do last question and we wrap, is there a way to change that particular portion of the system? I'm sure. And it's money. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world, but it's true. It's we, if we want people working in our government that are Mm -hmm. of a certain caliber and have a certain outlook and perspective and are trying to achieve something besides a power grab, we have to make it worthwhile for them to be there. If you're, if you're, you know, a Yale graduate and you've got connections and resources why would you go working for 40 grand over here when you could be all the way over here for 150 with the exact same experience? And I mean, what's the incentive? Uh, I mean, the only incentive that works if we're, we're presuming that we're sticking with this whole capitalism thing, right? So the primary driver of capitalism is profit and money. And if if that's the way that we move forward, then that needs to be applicable everywhere. If you want people to be good public defenders, you have to pay them to be good public defenders. If you want the IRS to prosecute Scientology, you have to pay them to make it worthwhile to take on that risk. I mean... The Scientology. I mean, you said, let's just let's just leave this. Let, let Scientology be, because. But really, <laughs> but what if I don't want to? And they're going to show up in my house now, aren't they? Or you put together a team of people who are spick and span. You need um uh Ned Flanders, and the likeness of that to exist, because when it comes to personal, that's always going to weigh it heavy but most people will not be perfect cru- people crucified in the public eye we have not we have to but we have to have people who are willing to stand on their indiscretions sure yeah. I mean, being in the public eye is its own nightmare i mean you yes it you're inviting a level of attention and scrutiny that some people can stand up to but yeah. not most people and it's who goes into politics so we or, should build a team of a team of ex-celebrities mm-hmm. to then be an irs module 
that goes mm-hmm. after Scientology. They're used to their life being on display. They ain't tripping. That like might this. be the best space. I actually like this. What if we film it as like a reality show? Oh, then me. we then then they're definitely in. Right? Right? Like they care I now. I feel like we're onto something really life-changing. This is yes. a cusp, if you will. Yes. yes. Paradigm shifting, if you will. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That too. I can't believe you're not taking me seriously. Oh, I definitely. No, this is really real. <laughs> and we might have to bleep this whole little segment out and try to sell it for $59.99. <laughs> On a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, I got to subscribe to our Patreon to get That's this content. It. You know? Ella, cannot thank you enough for joining us. Uh, Ever. And she let the hair down. It was about to get real. That was she let the hair down. It was about to get really real in here. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) True litigator, right there. I was. (laughs) I'm in recovery. I'm working on it. That's what I meant. Former, former litigator, right there. That's what I meant. Thank you so much. Uh, And we're going to continue to call on you in our legal moments. God, I hope so. Yes. Help from an expert. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A hundred million times over. Mm. This has been really fun. One and two have been moments. And the fact that you were able to hop in with us and operate at the speed that we operate at. Also being able to deal with Morgan on a regular. I take a lot of anti-anxiety meds for her. This is what I'm saying. Like, I'm pretty much here. I'm pretty linear as far as my thinking and my approach to things. And then Morgan's like, all over the place. (laughs) And it can get get a little like, whoa, what's going on right now? So definitely appreciate that. And thank you for spending time with us doing the thing that we do. Is there anything you want to tell anyone before we get up out of this place? Me? No, I think I'm good. This was, I can't wait till next time. Mm-hmm. There's going to be next time. <laughs> you <laughs> better believe that. <laughs> As uh, the famous words of Birdman, all tree, y'all. We'll there it is. Back. We'll be back. Well, A. Y'all can follow us at the Unrefined Sophisticates on the Instagrams. You can follow me, Can, at I Technically Can. You can follow more at Portland Morgan. Make sure you like us, subscribe, and review wherever you listen. And tell a friend to tell a friend about us. And at this time of the show, we figure turn in our key cards because. <laughs> eh. <laughs> it's checkout time. It's checkout time. Check out the gold.